If you would, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. And um, Colossians, chapter 1, we're going to read verses 9 through 11. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 11. Beginning at verse 9, it reads like this. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then here's our focus this morning. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. You may be seated. If you remember a few weeks ago, we, um, we, 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 we sat back just a little bit. We had Mother's Day, and then last week we had the marriage retreat. But just a few weeks ago, I gave you a prayer. I handed out a sheet that um, had a prayer on it that I asked for you to pray fervently. The reason I did this is because the Bible tells us on over in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29 that Paul said that he strived and he worked on a daily basis preaching and teaching and warning every man so that he could present them perfect in Jesus Christ one day. Do you remember that? I talked about the assembly line of Christians, that everybody has a job that they do, that not everybody is a preacher, not everybody is a teacher, not everybody can uh, warn every man to present them perfect in Christ Jesus. But there was one thing that every Christian was was obligated to do, and there was one thing that every Christian can do. Does anybody remember what it was? Pray. The Bible tells us that this church in Colossia, that, that it had a pastor named Epaphras. And the Bible tells us at the end of Colossians that Epaphras labored fervently in prayers for you day and night so that he could present you perfect in Christ Jesus. He said... Prayer was something that was key if we were going to become something and everything that God means for us to be in Christ Jesus. What is the will of God for you in your life? To be what? To be Christ-like. To be conformed to the image of His Son. When He saved you from your sins, when He shed His blood to cover them, and when you accepted that by faith, you made a commitment to Him that I confess that He is Lord. He is the ruler and the master of my life. I will do what He says. I will act like He acts. I will perform the way that He performs. Is it going to be tough? This is what the Bible talks about when it talks about suffering. How much suffering have you done for Jesus Christ? If you're in the world, guess what? If you're in the world, it ain't really a whole lot of suffering that you're doing for Jesus Christ. But when you're in Christ and you're trying to become what He would have you to be, when you're trying to do what He would have you to do, they're suffering. You know why? Because that's contrary to what the world is. The world is not long-suffering. The world is not gentle. The world is not kind. The world doesn't know vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. The world knows vengeance is mine, saith Kevin. Revenge is mine because it's sweet. That's what the world knows. 
But God's way is not that way. And we're trying to become like the image of His Son. But Paul said it's going to have to happen through preaching, teaching, and through prayer, and through you becoming everything that God means for you to be. I want to focus this morning on verse 11 of Colossians chapter 1 where he said, Strengthened with all might. If you remember last week, we did a, um, we, or two weeks ago, we did a prayer. Now, just being honest with me, because I'd, I'd be lying to you if I told you I hit it every day. I mean, I'm sad to say that, but I didn't. I did it a lot, but there were, there were days that I forgot it. Is there anybody in here, and not bragging, just you did your duty, you didn't miss a day in praying this prayer? We got a few. Amen. And I'm going to tell you what, that's something to be proud of. It ain't no power on your part that you were able to do it. It was all because He gave you the place. You put it in place. You made a commitment. It was important to you. And I promise you that you will begin to see the results of this very prayer right here in this facility. The prayer we prayed went like this. Lord, we desire to be fully pleasing to you. How many got that desire? Lord, I desire to be fully pleasing to you and I want to be fruitful in all my works for you. We ask you to fill us with the knowledge of your will for our lives and show us all the things in our lives that you would have us to lay aside. Give us the wisdom to apply this knowledge in a way that's pleasing to you and the spiritual understanding to help choose to get away from every appearance of evil. Keep molding us into the image of your glory. I pray this for myself and for all my brothers and sisters in your church at Wales. This is the prayer that Paul prayed. He said, God... I pray every day for them without ceasing. I pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That ain't a prayer I made up. That's a prayer that Paul prayed for the Christian church that was inspired by the Spirit of God. Only thing I did was put it in our words, typed it on paper, gave you some definitions, and handed it to you. If you didn't get a copy of it, there will be some out on the little tables out here in the foyer. I encourage you to get one. We're going to keep praying this prayer. But this week, we're going to add something to it. See, in the process of Him showing us the things that He would have us lay aside, in the process of us struggling to make right decisions that we know are contrary to us, in the process of staying in a place that means suffering for us because we know that's the commitment that we made to God, in the process of all that, we get weak. In the process of all that, I would imagine that most everybody in here has said, I can't do it anymore. And I don't care what your temptation, what your struggle is, what your addiction, what your, whatever the suffering is, every single person in here looking at me like I'm talking directly to you. No, I'm talking to the church as a whole. We all have sufferings and struggles that bring us down. They weaken us. And here's what Paul prayed. As we're getting this knowledge, as we're becoming spiritually wise, as we make these choices to be more Christ-like and we begin to get weak, here's what Paul prayed. Here's what's next in the prayer, verse 11. He said, God, I pray that they would be strengthened with all might. God, I pray that they have strength. You know, if Paul didn't already know we were going to get weak, do you think he would have prayed for strength? He knew right off that we were going to get weak. He knew right off that there were days where we would say, I can't take it anymore. 
I cannot handle this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I can't make this decision. This addiction is too strong for me. I can't get away from it. This sin is too tempting for me. I cannot stop it. I cannot quit. He knew there were going to be those days. He said, I pray that we would have strength with all might according to His glorious power. See, this is not a strength. He's talking about physical strength. He's not talking about the kind of strength where we leap over a wall or we slew an army of Philistines. Yes, God can give us those strengths, but He's not talking about physical strength. He's talking about the same kind of strength that, that uh, Paul described in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, I believe it was, Tim. If you can throw that up there for me. Ephesians 3, verse 16, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in what? He said, I'm praying that you'll have heart. I want you to have strength within you. Here's the definition of strength according to Webster. Capable of withstanding force or wear, solid, tough, firm, having a force or character within In other words, strength comes whenever all the world is coming against you. You know what strength does? Strength leans the shoulder into it. Strength leans the shoulder into it, and he keeps slowly pushing forward. And then there are times when he can't push forward anymore. You know what strength does? Strength just stands still. But strength will not be moved. Strength has will. Strength has character. Strength says, I can do this. I can make it through this. That's strength. And Paul, he was praying that we would have this this capability to withstand this force or this wear. And he prayed for it on a daily basis. He didn't wait till you were in your trial and then say, Oh God, please give him strength to get through this. No. Paul said, without ceasing, I'm praying every day that you will have strength so that when your trial comes, and how many of you know your trial's coming if it ain't already here? So that when your trial comes, you lean in on that baby and you say, oh, it's tough. Oh, I'm going to shed some tears. It's going to be hard, but I ain't backing down because I've got a goal. I've got an end result that I'm reaching to and I will attain to the Christ-like glory that He has prepared for me. I'm going to keep moving forward. So Paul prays for strength. I want to show you a video. This is a 13-minute long video. I promise you after this video is over, I've got a few quick points I'm going to go through. I'm going to cut my sermon a little short this morning. But I want you to pay very close attention to this video because this describes the kind of strength that you have to have if you're going to make it through the trials that are already in your life or if they're not, they are coming. Our last story this evening features an unforgettable pair of unlikely teammates doing improbable things. I'm talking about Dick and Rick Hoyt, two men who are biologically father and son, yet much more than just a boy and his dad. For 30 years now, the Hoyts have turned individual endurance tests of marathons and triathlons into team events, and the manner in which they've done so has enriched both men. Our Mary Carrillo updates a profile we first visited five years ago. This is where they go to prove their mettle. Endurance racers from around New England, ready to take on an Olympic distance triathlon. Those who finish will swim a mile, bike 24, and run six more. All right, welcome everyone. But one man's got a tougher challenge than the rest. And it's not because he's one of the oldest guys here. 
It's because Dick Hoyt will pull, pedal, and push his son Rick, who was born without the ability to move or speak. This is how father and son spend their time together, nearly every single weekend, going back 30 years. Dick and Rick Hoyt have completed over 240 triathlons, and on their lazier Sunday afternoons, over 68 marathons, the fastest in a time just half an hour off the world record. Yes, the real world record. They say Dick Hoyt could have been an elite endurance athlete on his own. Dick's not so sure. I just don't have the desire to be out there running by myself. I think it's just something that comes from his body to my body, and it makes us go faster. Are you trying to say that you run faster pushing Rick than if you didn't run with him? Oh, yeah. He, he inspires me and he motivates me. And he's actually the athlete, and he's very competitive. He wants to win. To those who don't know better, it might seem an unlikely pair. The strapping Richard Sr., a retired lieutenant colonel with the Air National Guard, and his motionless son, Richard Jr., born 48 years ago. Rick had been strangled by his own umbilical cord during birth, severely damaging much of his brain. He would never walk or talk or, the doctor said, do anything at all. He didn't give you any hope at all? No, he didn't. No hope at all. Just cold, hard facts, he said. And my wife and I, we cried a little bit, but we talked and we said, no, we're not going to put Rick away. We're going to bring Rick home and bring him up like any other child. All right, guys, almost to the top. So this is how Rick Hoyt was raised, like his father had always planned, like any other boy in Boston, on sports. The doctor said it was all well and good, but we're still sure there was little going on in the silent boy's brain. His parents saw reason to disagree. What did you and your wife know about your boy that the doctors didn't know and didn't see? We could tell by looking in his eyes that when you were talking to him, he was looking right at you and he was taking everything in. It's just that he couldn't answer you and he couldn't get things out. Until a machine was invented that would put Rick to the test. Using a button with his head, the only part of his body he had any control of, 12-year-old Rick would finally get the chance to click out his first words, one letter at a time. And everybody's betting whether the first words Rick is ever going to say. Well, his mom saying it's going to be, hi, mom, me saying it's going to be, hi, dad. Well, the Boston Bruins were going for the Stanley Cup, and the very first words he ever said was, go, Bruins. So you knew that he was following sports. 36 years later, Rick Hoyt still uses a version of that same machine. And though it takes hours just to write a few sentences, it gives him something he never had, a voice. When I got my first communicating device, the feeling was joyous. Finally, I could share my opinions with everyone. And it was something young Rick would tell his father soon after that would change everything. In 1977, he learned of a benefit run being set up to help a local athlete who'd been paralyzed in an accident. I wanted to show this person that life goes on and he could still lead a productive life. That is why I turned to my dad and said we have to run in this race. Dick Hoyt, 40 years old and out of shape, had never run more than one mile. No one expected him to push his wheelchair-bound son for five. When we came across the finish line, it's the biggest smile you ever saw in your life. And when we came home from that race, Rick wrote on his computer, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like my disability disappeared. Overnight, Dick and Rick began running every road race New England had to offer. And before too long, 
The oddball team was leaving quite an impression. First time you saw the Hoyts, what do you remember seeing? I remember seeing um, Dick's back. Dave McGillivray was an expert distance runner who'd go on to become head of the Boston Marathon. Impressed, McGillivray challenged Dick Hoyt to upgrade from road races to full marathons. No problem. Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Hoyt pushing his son. So McGillivray raised the bar again. Maybe it was just my competitiveness, but just out of nowhere, I blurted out, have you ever tried a triathlon? Well, I looked at Dave and I said, Dave, only if I can do it with Rick. So Dick moved to the country, where he trained himself to bike and swim with Rick. That meant learning how to pedal this contraption, using an 80-pound bag of cement in the front seat in place of his son. It was his first time on any bike since age six, and that was the easy part. You really didn't know how to swim at all? No, I, I ain't kidding you. When I jumped in that lake, I couldn't go 10 feet. <laughs> My, I sank. I couldn't tread water or anything else. That was 1985. This was 1989, Hawaii, site of the most grueling endurance race in the world, the Ironman Triathlon, a 2.4-mile ocean swim, followed by 112 miles on a bike, then, for good measure, a full marathon, all under the island sun. The world's best were there, including the guy who put the Hoyts up to this ultimate challenge. I could see them coming from a distance. And as they're getting closer and closer, I can tell how Dick was struggling. But then I look down at Rick. He's dealing with all the elements, too. And it takes a lot of strength to say, Dad, um, I, I want to continue. I want to participate. And it took a little while before that realization hit me. And then I realized how much of an incredible athlete Rick is, not just his dad, but Rick truly is. He's also a best friend. Morning, Rick. How you doing? All right, I'm gonna go start the top, okay? With Dick and his wife divorced, it's usually just the guys. It's a relationship of loyalty and trust. Ultimately, all of Rick's relationships are. But this one's different. Got a nice new haircut, huh? That means we're gonna go faster. Rick and Dick even have their own way of speaking, a guessing game of sorts for when the computer isn't handy. F, G, H, H, F. Still, for all Rick's limitations, he was raised to be his own man, which is why he lives alone in his own apartment, helped by part-time caretakers, but fiercely independent. Like any other college grad, yes, it took him nine long years but Rick managed to become the first ever non-speaking graduate of Boston University. People generally underestimate me due to my physical condition, but I am a person with a brain and intelligence. I am no different than anyone else other than the fact that I will not beat you in a foot race and you will never have to tell me who shut my mouth. Visiting Rick's place in 2005, we learned that he rarely misses an opportunity to have a laugh. Let me ask you something, Rick. Maybe you can type a response. That voice, that synthesized voice that comes out of here, your real voice, I'm assuming, is, is it like a lot sexier than that? Smoky? Sultry? Any of those? <laughs> Were you reacting? <laughs> I guess. I guess. <laughs> Once he starts with the laughing and smiling, <laughs> you never know what he's going to write. <laughs>
real, real hot? <laughs> Is that your answer? Your voice would be real hot? <laughs> For Dick, hearing Rick's voice is what's inspired him to keep going, 30 years and counting. Rick can't make very many sounds, but he does this a lot when we're out there competing. It's not like a laugh, it's, it's like he's got a smile on his face and he's just making this noise, you know, this loud noise. Is that the prettiest sound in the whole world? <laughs> That's got to be some sound. Yeah, it really is because you know he's happy and he enjoys himself and he loves to be out there competing. And he's letting you know. And he's letting me know. <laughs> it's been five years since we first met the Hoyts and they've yet to slow down. Dick and Rick still race almost every weekend, usually placing first or second in Dick's age group. Only now, they have even more competition on the course. These days, hundreds of families are pushing their own disabled children in races inspired by the Hoyt's devotion. Are you ready to run? Huh? You know, I figured eventually people would start doing what we're doing, but I didn't think it would get as big as it is getting. What, what's that like to see? It's great to see because I know how Rick feels when we're out there competing and running. And now this is affecting other families that have children similar to Rick. And they've all got big smiles on their faces when they're out there competing and running. The Hoyt's are inspiring families without disabled members too. In 12 cities across the country, volunteer groups have formed to help disabled athletes who don't have a family member to compete with them. At races in Maryland, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, volunteer pushers are paired with athletes of all ages, and they finish as a team. And just last month in Virginia Beach, more than 100 runners pushed 50 riders in a three-mile race, forming the biggest group yet. These are volunteers who want to push disabled kids. That's what's amazing to me. They're not their mother and father or somebody in the family. It's just volunteers who are out there and they want to do this. Over the years, people all over the world have reached out to the Hoyts. Every day, they receive more than 200 emails and letters thanking them for their inspiration. This is an email you got um, a couple of years ago. Dear Mr. Hoyt and Ricky, I lost my beloved husband of 25 years four months ago. It has been a pain that I cannot describe. Then I saw your video. The day I watched it, I had decided to just end it. And I had everything planned to the last detail. I'm here because of that video. I just wanted you to know that you and Ricky are two of my heroes. Thank you again. The subject heading is, you saved my life. You saved her life. <laughs> Hearing a story like that, it's easy for Dick and Rick to race on. Dick, now 70, says retirement won't happen for two more years after they run their 30th Boston Marathon. But for this father and son, it's doubtful that finish line will be their last. When are you going to know that it's time to stop? Well, I think Rick's going to say, Dad, I've had it, you know, done, or I'm going to say it, or we, something happens, we get injured. All the people in the world are inspiring him to continue running because we've been inspiring them throughout the years. And it's nice to know that he's the one that really started this all back 30 years ago. He's inspiring so many people. He really is, yeah. Yeah.
one quick footnote. On Thanksgiving Day, the Hoyts are scheduled to run in what will be their 1,042nd road race. Dick also released a book this year about his life with Rick. It is titled, Appropriately Devoted. Inner strength. Inner strength, the kind of strength that, that Paul is talking about that he prays for each and every one of us. The kind of strength that we should be praying for each other. This is the kind of strength that overcomes any physical limitations that you think you have. It overcomes any mental limitations that you think, I can't do this or I can't handle this. This strength that we pray for each other, it overcomes all that. This strength takes a 50-year-old man that pushes his son around that has never run in a single marathon and then he don't know how to swim and yet now he's completed how many miles did they say of running? Uh, thousands of miles that they have of running and swimming. This inner strength is a spiritual duty. This is not something you can go to Harvey's gym down here and get a membership and bench 400 pounds and say, I can take on anything. I'm going to tell you, I've seen guys that can bench 400 pounds, but I've also seen them when they couldn't take on half of what they thought they could. They weren't spiritually strong. Real quickly, i got a few points I want to talk to you about, about how do we get this kind of strength. First point, the way you get this strength, you've got to admit that you are completely helpless without Christ to have this strength. Without Christ, without you seeking after Him, without you drawing to a closer relationship with Him, it is not possible for you to have this strength. I promise you, without that relationship, you will reach your breaking point very quick. You will reach it so quick that the least little adversity that comes across you, you'll throw your hands up and say, I'm done. What's the use? You'll go back to your couch and you'll lay down and that's where you'll probably stay for the next months, years, or however long it takes God to pull you out of it. You are completely helpless without Him. I want to give you a few examples. John chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him nothing was made that was made. The first thing you've got to understand is this. We would not have even come into existence were it not for Christ. If it were not for Jesus Christ, not a single one of you would be in this room this morning. All these babies that we love so much that many of you are holding right now, they would not even be here if it were not for Jesus Christ. So how helpless and hopeless does that make us without Him? He says, through Him, all things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. Nothing comes into existence without Him. Second thing, real quickly, we would, be, we would vanish completely. We would just vanish away if it were not for the moment-by-moment -moment sustaining power of Christ. Look at uh, Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and in Him all things what? It is only by being in Him, because all things were created through Him. That is the only reason you wake up and you draw your next breath, is because He allows it. He is the one that holds all things into motion by His hand. 
And if it were not for His moment-by-moment sustaining power, you would not even take your next breath. Look with me at Acts chapter 17, 25. Nor is He worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything, since He gives to all life, breath, and all things. Do you see that? You are completely hopeless. You are completely helpless even without a trial in your life without Jesus Christ. So how close do you think you need to be to Him to make it through the things that you have to face? As close as you can get. He says here in the next part, we are completely helpless to do anything good and fruitful without Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. We are naturally sinful, evil people. That's what we are. And the best that we can produce without Him is sin. That's the absolute best. Even the good that you do outside of Him is worthless. It will amount to nothing. You can be the next Bill Gates and come up with an Intel or Microsoft or Apple. You can build the next iPod Touch and I promise you, Without Christ, you will come to the end of your life and it will be completely fruitless. You will have absolutely nothing to show for your living. He says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, what can you do? <laughs> I believe my point is explained. I don't have to go through any more. i got several more if you want them after this is over. My point is this. We have to admit that without Christ, we are absolutely and completely helpless and hopeless. I don't care how good a job you do at what you do. Got any heart surgeons in here this morning? I don't know. I mean, I've preached at churches that had a few. I promise you, I don't care how good a job you do out in your world. You'll stand before God at the end of the day, and without Christ, you'll stand there and He'll laugh at you. <laughs> you help too. I was going to take them out in a few years anyway. I don't care if you did patch them up for right now. It don't really matter what you did. Unless you did it in Christ, it was fruitless, it was hopeless, it was helpless. That's a promise. Admit that. The next thing you've got to do, you've got to pray. You've got to pray for God's help. Because you are hopeless and helpless without Him. So now you come to your next step and you say, God, I know that I cannot do this without you. I know that on my own, it is impossible for me to get through this. But God, I'm asking you, I'm praying that you please help me. Humbly, sincerely, prayerfully, ask God from a sincere heart, God, I need your help. I need your strength. I need this from you because I can't do it on my own. Does anybody get, can I get a witness in here? I figured there might be a few. Pray for God's help. Admit from your heart that your efforts are useless without Christ. Then simply humble yourself and pray, Oh God, help me. Please help me. I'm going to move on to my last point. Admit that you are helpless and hopeless without Him. Pray, God, please help me. I am hopeless without you. The third thing is very simple. Believe completely in the promises of God. God cannot lie. 
It's not possible. By faith, you follow Him. By faith, you trust Him. So in your situations where you need strength, quit relying on your feelings and your emotions and what you can't do and say, God, I know what you can do. And this is where I'm going to get my strength from. It's going to become important to me to fulfill everything you have placed in my life. I am not here for no purpose and a reason. So I will pastor the best that I can pastor because when I stand before Him, I want to be able to say, God, I did the best that I could do. I want Him to look at me and say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Husbands, wives, that's a ministry. You're not there by chance. You're not there by coincidence. God knew before you were ever created that you would be where you are. Work your ministry to the best of your ability so you stand before God and say, God, my desire to fulfill everywhere you placed me was so deep. I stand here before you today to say, my work is finished. I'm here to receive what you have promised me. I believed in your promises. I made it through. I want to look at just a few scriptures real quick, and I'm done in believing in the promises. Isaiah 41.10. Look at this promise. Oh, this is a good promise right here. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Oh, do you know how big a statement that is? The God of all creation, the sustainer of all mankind, just looked at you and said... Be not dismayed. I'm your God. He said, I'm your God. And look what he says next. I will strengthen you. That's a promise. That is a promise from God. So when you bow down and say, I can't do it. It ain't possible. Then basically you say, God, I do not believe you have the power to give me strength. Yeah, maybe you can part Red Seas. Maybe you can bring babies from virgins. But you just ain't got the power to strengthen little old me. God, I believe you. Hey, you said I will strengthen you. I believe you. I will strengthen you. Yes. Look, I love where God puts an extra in there. He said, yes, I will help you. That's a promise. Wherever you're at, no matter how hard it is to continue in your Christ-like journey, God promises, I will give you strength. I will help you and I will uphold you. Even when you're on your knees in your tears, he says, listen, I got you right here. You don't uphold me. I uphold you by my righteous right hand. I promise you I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's a promise from God. Believe in that completely. At Romans 8.32 Romans 8 verse 32 says He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God is our Father. His desire is to give us everything we need and what we want. He wants to but how many of you are fathers in here today? When your son asks for a piece of bread how many of you give him a serpent? You know what's best for him, don't you? Well, your Heavenly Father knows what's best for you. He knows when you need to be brought out of this trial and it be good for you, and He knows when you need to sit right there in it for a while and it be good for you. He knows. 
You can ask Him whatever you want, and He wants to freely give you all things. But you have to trust that He knows exactly what you need and where you need to be at any given time in order to meet that end that He has designed for you to be the image of His glory. Psalms 50 verse 15, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and what will He do? I will deliver you. And look what your responsibility is. And you shall glorify me. It's a glory. It's a joy for God to see you in your trouble and for Him to say, okay, here I come. And then when He brings you out, Him to say, who did that? I did that. You called on me and I delivered you. However, there's a stipulation right here. Isaiah chapter 58 verse 9 through 14. Here's that stipulation. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here I am, but here comes an if, ain't it? Here's the if. If you take away the yoke from your midst. In other words, if you're following the path that I have prepared for you. If you're walking after me and becoming that Christ-like image that I mean for you to be. If you are in this place of my will where I have designed you to be, then I will hear you and say... Here I am, what do you need? He says, if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you what? The Lord will guide you continually and He will satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like, the, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up from the many foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. You get the point. God promises, you get in my path. You get where I mean for you to be. And then you're in a place that when you call, I answer. My next one, Philippians 4.19. I'm going to go through these next quick. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Psalm 50.15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. I already got that one. Romans 12.19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're in, God has a promise for you. And He promises you that He will avenge you from your adversary no matter what it is, no matter what has took place. And you should completely trust the promises of God to know that there is no place that I can get myself in as long as I'm following Him that He has not already made me a promise that He will give me strength, He will help me, and He will uphold me with His righteous right hand. Do you need strength this morning? You've got a prayer in your hand. That's the prayer for this week. I ask you to hang it up somewhere. And you pray this prayer for one another because I believe there's a few people in here need strength. I ain't going to ask you to raise your hand. But I believe there's a few people in here that, that ha have reached those points before and this is the very thing that you were lacking, inner strength. Strength that makes you stand and put your shoulder into the wind and say, I'm here. This is where you put me. This is what I'm going to endure 
we're going to get through this to the other side because I admit that I'm helpless to do it without you. I pray to you to ask you to help me and I believe that your promises are still true today. So you have an arsenal of promises at the bottom of that list. That arsenal of promises is for you to look through and there are many more that can be added to that list but that's a beginner for you to remind you every time that you find yourself in a place of temptation, in a place of trial, in a place of suffering, you look at that promise and you say, God, I believe you. And let me tell you this. If you don't believe it, just stay in your bed next Sunday morning. That's harsh coming from a pastor, ain't it? If you don't believe the promises of God, stay in your bed next Sunday morning because it ain't going to do you no good to hear what I have to say. What I say can't even compare to the promises that God has already made. Trust completely in the promises of God and I promise you, strength will come even when we're weak. Would you stand this morning? The altar is open to whatever your need is, to whatever you need prayer for. Um, my hand is extended for anything that you possibly need. My prayer this morning is that you do not leave here without making whatever right with God that He has called you to make this morning, without completely depending on Him. Don't leave here without this morning without strength welling up in you to stand against all the forces that come your way. And you keep walking the walk on this assembly line to become everything that God means for you to be. And I promise you, at the end of this journey, we'll stand together in front of him to say, God, our work is done. And we'll hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant.